Good morning. Today we're back in the spin cycle, and I want to thank and say a special thanks to Scott Matthews for last week. Giving us a healthy pause, taking a break is sometimes what we need, specifically on a weekend like a holiday weekend, in times of such uncertainty like we are facing right now, to just take a breath, sit back, grab a fundamental truth, and hold on to it that the Good Shepherd, Jesus, from Psalm 23, is the person that is sovereign when things for us are uncertain. And that that spoke to me, and it was timely, and I'm grateful for it. But as we go back into the spin cycle today, we're going to be talking about godliness or accountability. And we're going to, I'm going to kick back, I'm going to start where we left off just a couple weeks ago, that we are called to be exactly who God has designed us to be, more so than we have to focus our action around doing arbitrary things. This week I was asked a fundamental question, and we sang about it at the beginning of the service, and that question is one that I'm going to pose to you. The question is, if, if Jesus is Lord, is He still Lord if no one chooses to treat Him as such? So is Jesus still Lord even if no one else acknowledges it? I think the answer is found in Philippians 2, and it's really simple. It says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. So here's what we do know, that it says that every knee will bow and that every tongue will confess Jesus as Lord. And if that's the end result, if that's the end, whether you choose to recognize Him as Lord right now today or in your life on earth, that's where we're going. And if I were to say to you, this is, this is how you set up a vision for your life. This is how you propel forward in mission in your own life, is to look at the end, see the tombstone, and work backwards. So you know where you're headed. We're all headed to, all will say, Jesus is Lord. But I would also tell you that if you're going to be successful in completing a vision, you need to know where you started from so that you know not to repeat some of the mistakes you've made in your past. And we've all started one place. Romans 3.23 says that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we've all started here, but we're all we're going here. For those who are in Christ Jesus are going to not only admonish Him as Lord, but we get to live with Him as Lord. And we all right now live somewhere in the tension. Everyone who's gone before us, everyone who's present on the planet now, everyone who will come after us sits between these two realities, the start that we have all sinned and forgotten to give God His due glory, but we will all in the end bow our knee and confess Him as Jesus. With this truth, I'm going to welcome us to what Peter has trying to help us understand in the spin cycle in 2 Peter 1 and the description of why the spin cycle in 1 Peter 1 is how to live in the tension, how we move from all being sinner to looking and admonishing and reflecting the life of our king here on the planet. Because the truth is that statement that we will all one day confess Jesus as Lord defines for us by the hands of Paul and all who went before him that we live in a monarchy. We do not live in a democracy. We didn't vote Jesus to be king, and we can't devote him to be king. We can't vote someone else in his place. In the end, every single crown that has been worn on this planet is going to be seen as a cheapened replica of the one that, we, that he is due. And they will all be laid down at his feet in the end. And so how do we go from here to there? Peter says, well, you have to add to your faith knowledge. You have to know that we're going there. And in the end, he is king. And that should amaze you because that king stepped out of heaven and gave his own life. He, he stepped out 
from heaven and walks amongst the poverty-stricken in a third-world environment for you and for me and gave his life in our place. He died for us. That should amaze us to enlist in spiritual discipline and in self-control as subjects, subservient subjects, sons and daughters in that kingdom. So he says, add to your faith knowledge, add to your knowledge self-control, and add to your self-control perseverance. Because you're going to continue to walk through the quagmire of this broken world. But you have to persevere. You have to continue to be a citizen of heaven, one representing that kingdom, versus just doing things that you define as either good or bad or not so good in your human lens, that you live in, in a way that is appropriate, that best advertises the king and the kingdom of heaven. And why? Because we are to be godly before a godless world. We are to walk in godliness, meaning we are accountable to represent the king, 2 Corinthians 5 says, as ambassadors of him, ambassadors of his kingdom, the people who are emissaries reflecting the one true king where everyone will pay homage in the end to the world who right now may not know him. See, when we talk about accountability, too often in a Western world, we, we have a tendency to have an aversion to it because we have shifted the attention in the wrong areas. We have a tendency in accountability to take our eyes off of the one who defeated sin and we place our focus on the sin we're trying to avoid far too often. And so Peter goes on to explain this in 1 Peter 1, 15 through 19. I'm going to read verses 15 and 16 first for us. He says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Do a little English lesson here. Let's imagine that we took that, that term be holy and we took holy out. And we put in other attributes of who God is that really delineate and separate, di dictate and designate him from a broken world. Let's put, let's put gracious. Be gracious because I am gracious. Be generous because I am generous. Be selfless because I am selfless. Be any other perfect attribute that we can ascribe to God that is not like us and be that. In my power and my strength working through your life by submission to my spirit, be that. Be weird. Be so that you do not fit in a broken world because you're not of this world. Be otherworldly and love them with the power that I give you to love them otherworldly. He goes, stop trying to fit in. Because you, because of what I did to redeem you, do not fit in. You're never going to fit in here. I am yours and you are mine. John 15, Ephesians, Galatians. I am yours, you are mine, so be mine. We are accountable to Jesus and Jesus primarily. We're not accountable to anyone else primarily. In a monarchy, you're always accountable to the king. And everybody is accountable to the king. doesn't matter who you directly report to. doesn't matter who your upstart is and who you look to and who directly sits over you. They are accountable to the king just as much as you are. So we are all accountable to king and a monarchy. And the question is, are you ready to meet the king? If today was your last day on the planet and you, only had, you didn't have tomorrow because we're not promised that, are you ready to stand before Jesus because yesterday you went to work and you lived as if to, that was your last day on the planet? And you treated everyone, friend and foe, as if that was the last time you'd see them. These, the scriptures, verses 17 through 19 in 1 Peter 1, beckon this question, so I'm going to ask it. It says in verse 17, Since you call on the Father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here 
in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. Verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. First point, verse 17, he's a judge and he judges impartially. Jesus shows no partiality. And we tend to be partial. In fact, that's become a problem for our world. It's set all the cities of our world ablaze because of our partiality, our prejudices right now, and our, even our tendency within the church to categorize sin. We have this tendency to determine in our own terms through a human lens what is bad, what is good, and what is just not so bad. And my question is, if that is the way you've been living your life, are you ready to stand before Jesus, like today? Are you ready to meet him if this is it? If the one who's impartial, Peter says here, is the one that is the judge, and all this time, all you've been doing is, is categorizing sin and going, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as the next guy. Are you ready to stand before Jesus? If all you've been doing is either guilting or, or glorifying your own sin, like guilting meaning uh, you know that you are imperfect, and every time you mess up, you go back to the habitual sin, you just cripple yourself with, like, just, you just cripple yourself with fear or upset, broken, defeated, and you, you just drown beneath that self-defeated attitude. And you forget in that moment that he already died for that sin and covered it and cast as far as east is from the west. So you guilt yourself over sin. The Israelites were very familiar with this because if you were guilty of one law, you were guilty of the entire thing. That's incredibly heavy. He didn't ask us to live like that, so stop doing that. Church, if you're gifting yourself with the opinion that you're higher, you, you think of yourself higher than maybe you need to, judging others by comparison, looking around going, I'm not perfect, but I'm not killing anyone. I'm not these people. When you, when you have this latter mindset, you glorify your sin. Let me ask you a question. Doesn't it make it hard to understand what you've been saved from? Because the statement in Romans 3.23 says all have sinned. That means we were all completely depraved. We didn't have a way unless he made a way. We didn't have a way till he made a way. But when you think, like, I'm not as bad as so-and-so, or I'm not bad as the next guy, I'm not so bad, you kind of nullify the fact that you were depraved. And the scriptures are clear that you need a Savior. And when you know and accept that, we all want a Savior. No one wants to suffer in hell for eternity as the alternative. No one's really banking on fire insurance, though we've all seen people make responses in emotional periods where they just want fire insurance, right? But let me ask you this. Is, that, is fire insurance, a response in an emotional moment, really enough to live for him? I mean, truly and accountably. The truth is, we might say that he cannot be Savior without being Lord, and that is true. I've said that repeatedly, which means we live for him. But let me ask you, we've already started this sermon by saying that he's Lord, whether you determine to choose to accept that he's Lord or not. So let me ask you, church, are you ready to stand before your maker when you didn't choose to make him boss here and practice that preparing yourself for all, all time and eternity? In the end, whether we choose to allow him to be in our life or not, he is Lord right now. And we are all going to stand before him taking that crown that is just that cheapened replica 
of what he was really doing, we're going to place it at his feet. Are you truly ready to meet Jesus when you're choosing to live as if he isn't the boss of your life right now? We are accountable to Jesus, period. That's first and foremost. His judgment is impartial. All means all. He said that if we live like Jesus is Lord, we will truly be saved in the end. There's absolutely no excuse for living however we wish if you're going to claim the name of Jesus, whether it be selfish, disregarding him, disregarding others, disregarding the first and second commandments altogether, and then still try to claim his name. That is uncalled for and unacceptable. Is your life simply acknowledging Jesus from afar? Or is it submitting to him regularly and partnering with him and bringing about his kingdom? Because we're accountable to the king. We're accountable to Jesus. And he is the impartial judge. What do you think he says of a life who just acknowledges him from afar and does whatever they want? He spoke to it pretty clearly. Matthew 7 might be the scariest verse in all the scriptures. He says, depart from me. I never knew you. But didn't I prophesy in your name? Didn't I cast out demons? Get away from me. I didn't know you. But there's good news. And here's the good news. There is a way forward. Peter's talking about it. This is how we repent. Turn from that that way of living and we move ahead. In accountability, we need to focus less on the sins that we manifest. And far more on the man that removed those sins. Let me say it again. We need to focus less on the sins we manifest or even the person that we've chosen to hold us as a, as a partner accountable that we've given license to speak into us. That we often get afraid to even be honest with because we know that we mess up when no one's looking and we think that when we're in the dark we get away with stuff. So when they ask us we go, well what do I do now? I screwed up. I messed up. I looked at something I shouldn't have. Do I lie to them? Do they already know? Will they judge me? Listen, we got to stop focusing so much on the sins that he already defeated in our life and have been cast as far as the east is from the west and focus our intention on the man that we're to emulate whom we're accountable to who defeated those sins because he is the impartial judge and it doesn't matter what your accountability partner thinks. I hope that you have one. I hope that you have someone that you trust and that knows you and you've given license to call you out. They know exactly who you are, exactly who you've been made to be. They know the shape, the gifts that are in your life, the sensitivities, the contributions you bring. They understand you and they call out the person that God has made you to be in your life rather than condemn the very person that Jesus has already died for, forgiven, no longer condemns because the word says his, your sin's been cast as far as the east is from the west. Because the truth is, they're not the judge. And they can't judge. They can't condemn. Unless, unless they're willing to embrace what the scriptures also say about people who desire to judge and condemn. That they themselves will be judged and condemned in the same manner. So here's the truth. It doesn't matter who your uplink is. It doesn't matter who your direct report is. We're all accountable to Jesus. These people exist to help you grow in the likeness of Jesus because he's the judge. They're not the judge. There's no need to lie to your accountability partner. The question is, are you ready to meet Jesus, the true judge, the king? Are you ready to stand before him and say, yes, I lived however I wished, and I claimed your name, but you were never my boss? 
He has every right in that moment to say, I never knew you. Our accountable focus needs to move far more on the man that removed our sins and walking worthy of his name in the light and not simply trying to skirt the dark. Our accountability discussion should be far more about who or whose we are and who we've been designed to be in him and walking as he's called us to versus our failed attempts in the dark when we think no one else is looking and then guilting ourselves for it. The problem with typical accountability systems that I've found in the church in the West is this. They focus far more on avoiding the dark than they do walking in the light. We are prone to wander, and Lord, do I feel it. I know myself, but do I think I'm more prone to focus on Him when I'm facing the dark the majority of the time? We cannot overcome what we cannot admit is a weakness. This is true. I'm confessing that. I'm good with that. Yet I also wonder if it presses further into the truth when I also admit that I could never overcome this thing and thus I relinquish it to him who never struggled with the habitual sin that I continue to put at his altar over and over and over again. Does that not boast in him? Does that not boast in his character and his person, his competency to surrender my inabilities and my tendencies unto him? Instead of focusing so much on what hinders me in the dark. I turn my back on that, and I listen clearly by looking at his face, focusing on him. Not my back to him, my back to the sin that he's already removed. Then turn and, and seek to live in the image of the one who already overcame what I never could on my own to live worthy of my calling. Because I seek more his face than I do the waves of my circumstances, no matter how dark they are. Isn't that what Jesus taught us about the waves? As Peter, who also is giving us this in the epistles, did when he joined him in the midst of the hurricane on the very waters that he was called from to follow Jesus. Isn't that what he taught Peter? When facing Jesus in the light, we overcome and are able to accomplish the unimaginable. It goes beyond our limited human standards, but when we stare more at our troubles, especially those that overtake us and force us under unto drowning, only glancing at Jesus out of the peripheral because we're so focused on what is ailing us, not looking at Him. We, we need to turn from the waves that we've been staring at and turn back to Him. In the story of Matthew 14, how do we walk? Man, Peter was in the boat and Jesus comes walking and John says, it's, it's the Lord. Peter goes, Lord, if it's you, call me to you. And he goes, come. Next thing we know, Peter is walking on liquid. It is only when he removes his eyes, and this is the part we preach all the time, it's when he removes his eyes and puts it back on his circumstances, the thing that was ailing him, the thing that never went away, that he began to sink. But before that, with his eyes firmly on Jesus, waves all around him, crashing around him so much so that it threatened his life, he's walking on top of those very waves, doing the unimaginable. But what happened? What happened when, when he took his eyes off of Jesus? And he forgot that he was accountable to Jesus to walk as he was designed individually. He sank. And it was Jesus' hand extending out beneath the surface to pull him up and save him one more time with a question. Oh, ye of little faith, why did you doubt? You were doing the unimaginable. I was doing what you could never do on your own through you. And this is why we have to walk as Jesus has called us to be. 
What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. There are some that are listening right now they are far more shepherd-like. You have a tendency to hug. You have kind eyes. You are someone who has a listening ear. When people see you in the market, they want to throw up their life story on you. They want to open up to you because God has designed you this way. And how often are you capitalizing on this opportunity? Listen, we, we all have schedules to keep. I mean, we're slamming busy. And the truth is there's not one of us that probably has the time to be this for other people. However... When they want to open up and they've waited all week to tell their story to someone and they chose you, who are you when you're an ambassador of the king to walk away and keep your agenda, to keep your busy schedule and not sit there, listen, truly show empathy, care, because that's what was put in you. And you, and, and you, and you walk away guilty that you didn't do it and you go, oh man, I can't believe I missed another opportunity and you beat yourself up for it. Listen. Who is going to keep you accountable as you share that story with them and you go, I missed one more opportunity. They go, that's okay, but did you learn from it? What are you going to do next time when you face the same opportunity? Have you learned from this past mistake where you didn't take the opportunity presented? There's going to be more opportunity where you take advantage of the next one versus collapsing under the waves of self-defeat, thinking only of how you failed in the pool of habitual sin one more time. Give up ever trying. Because you keep listening to the liar that fans the flame of your own failure in your heart and mind. What did Jesus do in this case with Peter as he witnessed him sink? Jesus came over to him and he lifted him up, reaching out his hand, lifting him from beneath the surface. And he simply held him accountable. He said, why did you doubt? I had already overcome this storm and you were out here walking with me like you had never before. Why did you doubt? Just trust me, because here's why. Your time here is short. Our time is perishing. This is to be holy as He is holy, living out our precious yet limited time on earth as foreigners in reverent fear, because the King is coming. And we don't know if it'll be tomorrow or a hundred years from now, but He's coming, and I want to know if we're ready yielding our agendas, our fears, our failures to Him so that He might do the impossible through each of us to reach others who still need to know there's a King that they're going to confess one day. So He can reveal Himself to others who are drowning in depravity and deceit. They have no other way. Because He reaches by His Spirit through our life to love them the way that He intended to, putting gifts and shape inside of us to love them beyond our human limitations, one that goes beyond our schedules, just to reach them and to reveal himself through us to them. It's our opportunity to worship him in victory, that we're walking on the ways versus, versus when we say the word accountability in the church in the West, too often it's referred to as the oblig, obligatory effort to simply not fail. It is so much more than that when you look at accountability from God's perspective, from a biblical perspective. Why? Why pursue him like this? Focus and follow him even into the unknown, into the unimaginable. Here's why. Because every other pursuit is pointless. He says it here, because any other pursuit on the planet is pointless and empty. Verse 18 says that you were bought with precious and the priceless blood, not the empty and perishable things of this world that we call valuable like gold or silver. We were, paid, we were bought with his blood, the king's blood. 
We talked about these things two, two weeks ago as we, as we got together. I mentioned gold and silver in the refining process that Psalms 12 says that it burned down seven times and brought back seven different times, each time brought back with less impurities in it. And we have so deemed value on things like gold that we'll build entire financial systems on its value, pure gold. Yet here, Peter reminds us, our purest gold pales in comparison to the value of Christ's redeeming blood. He says, everything here is perishing and is empty. Peter calls the redeeming and the renewing blood of Jesus Christ that leads to new life. Verse 19, is priceless. And it was paid for you, it was paid for me. And this morning, we're accountable for that payment. We're accountable to him. Accountable not to anyone else but to live for him because he would step out of heaven and redeem a wretch like me. And he would call me his. And he would not only call me a subservient subject in his kingdom, he would call me a son or a daughter. And he would make me a co-heir of his inheritance for all eternity. So this morning, in summary, as the band is coming back, he says that he is the ultimate judge. And he judges impartially. question is, are you ready to meet him? He says that time is short. And we can't waste it anymore. We can't spend time wasting any longer. He says that any other pursuit on the planet other than him is just empty. And I've been in too many conversations in my life where I either gloried over sin of my past and celebrated the, the good old days. Not really not really thinking on that precious and priceless blood that redeemed me from a life that was, that was drowning and depraved like that. Or I, or I spend too many days and hours guilting myself for the times I've missed it, not redeeming, not thinking on the redeeming blood that already paid for that and cast my sins far as east of the west, and I'm no longer condemned because of it. The question is, are we living godly because we're accountable to God for loving us when we didn't deserve to be loved, for shedding His blood, His priceless blood, when we didn't deserve that? Are we moved to the point of conviction to live worthy of our call so that if we don't have tomorrow, we'd be ready today to meet Him? Today, I want to give you a few ways that I would ask you to respond. If today you're here and you're listening to this, you could, gosh, man, I just I have so much on me, I'm, I need prayer. Email me at prayerofthefellowship.cc. We would love to pray for you. We'd love to be able to take those burdens before the King that loves you and lay them before Him because He loves you. And we want you to know His love too. I need you to evaluate how you're living and for whom you're living right now. Are you living for Him or are you living for you? Are you pursuing Him or are you pursuing the things He calls empty? It's a good question for His church this morning. And if you don't know Him, email me, prayerofthefellowship.cc. .cc, I would love to talk to you about how you can know the king that stepped out of heaven and gave his priceless blood just to make you his own. There's so much more to live for in his kingdom and in his name versus the things that are empty here. And lastly, for the church, I need you to consider enlisting the help of someone to sharpen you. Every single person walking along this way is prone to go back to our old life. We need accountability partners to sharpen us. So, Enlist an accountability partner sharpen you in your God-given call. Someone to speak license into you walking as He has made you. No longer the old life that you left, He died for to redeem. 
Father, this morning we love you and we thank you for Jesus. We know he changed everything and it's his precious name. We cry this morning. Father, have your way with us, I pray. And as we sing unto you, may you hear our hearts. There for you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.